0: We're going to be in verses one through nineteen. We're going to read the whole thing uh, as uh, you know it's accounted for. The whole thing, you know, to get a big picture, um, because also because Paul would tell these things, the story of how he came to faith in the Messiah, and he would tell the whole thing. So we're going to read the whole thing. Here we go. Acts chapter nine. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting he replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision he, he had ha- seen a man named I- In a vision, in a vision he has seen a man a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands On him, so that he may regain his sight. "Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Lord Jesus, open your word to us. As you opened up Saul's eyes on the road to Damascus, Lord, open our eyes to hear and to to see and to perceive and to understand and to see what you're doing, God, to see your way to live in this life, that we may come and die so that we may truly live with you, Lord Jesus by your Holy Spirit every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) I've never seen a marketing campaign toward the sacrifice a person had to make. Right? In order to you know to buy the product. In, in fact, I've always seen companies in a sense kind of lessening the value of their own product so that people will buy it. Oh, it's on sale. It's only nineteen ninety-five. Right? Every marketing campaign ever invented is it says, you know, come and see why what we're all about, why this will make you happy. You know, focusing on your preferences, focusing on your needs, on your wants, on your desires. What's Burger King's slogan? Have it your way. Right? L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Oh well. Wow. Right. Yeah. All these things are about you. That's what marketing's all about to get you to take out your wallet and to give them your money. So that they, and they, in exchange for their product, it's never about, hey, come and give up everything. This product is stinking expensive. But it's worth it because you're worth it. You know, I've never seen any campaigns that say, in order to buy our product, it's going to cost you everything everything you own, everything you are, everything you think. It's going to cost you your very life. But that's the call of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to say that I believe, I have faith in God, I have faith in Jesus, I am faithful, I have pledged myself to the Lord, is to say I have given Him everything. That's why I say the word faith isn't this, oh, I believe in my mind and my heart. I feel, I think, I have come to this understanding that there is a God. Well, good job. You're as good as the demons. They believe. They know better than us. The demons have a better theology than I or you will ever have. Because they know Yahweh exists. They know the power of Jesus and they definitely know the Holy Spirit and what they tremble. And when we think about Yahweh, when we think about God, if we don't tremble, we have little faith. Because we don't know the power and the goodness of and the glory and the might of our God. Of the God over all gods. Over the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He accepts nothing less than all of your life. He accepts nothing less then all of your devotion all of your what your mind your heart your soul and your strength he will not settle for anything less god seeks all to be his faithful followers and his followers to be fully faithful Jesus seeks even and sometimes especially the worst among humanity to be his beloved. Because here's the hope, you guys. He hasn't called us to attain to a certain level of perfection in order to be loved. No. He said, I will love you first and I'm going to walk with you as you get better. Amen. I'm going to walk with you and show you my goodness and that's what's going to inspire you on to grow up, to grow into maturity. He doesn't expect it from you right now in order to get His love, in order to get His acceptance, because He takes even the worst of humanity, as we're going to see in our passage here this morning. As we've seen, the Gospel has gone to Jerusalem. The Gospel has gone to Judea and Samaria, even to the farthest Ends of the earth, as of right now, it's starting to go there, like going to Ethiopia, like we talked about last week. And now, the Gospel goes to the oppressors of the faith. It expands, not just regionally, or demographically, but also now to those who are even against the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just those who are passive and don't know anything about Jesus, or that it came... In the first place, he doesn't go only to those who are receptive of it. He breaks through. I love that word breakthrough. He breaks through even the hardest of hearts. He breaks through the most stubborn. He breaks through the most zealous and passionate And goes even to the worst of its oppressors. So let's let's talk about the worst of the oppressors of Jesus Christ. We were first introduced to Paul or Saul rather back in April, so a couple months ago now. Um, So Saul is we'll we'll find out later is going to become Paul, and so there's a reason for that. So people back in those days they had two different names. Well, actually they had three, Uh, but specifically they had two in order to navigate within their culture. They had their Hebrew name that was for you know, for living and navigating around Israel. And so his Israeli name was Saul, named after King Saul. Powerful. And his, his Gentile name, or his, his Roman name, or his given kind of Aramaic name to exist within the Roman Empire, was Paul. Which we'll, find, well, which we'll see Later on, because as we all, as we know from scripture, Paul's missionary journey calling was to go to the Gentiles. So God will call him then by his Gentile name, his Roman name. He will go by it so that he can go into the Gentile nations and go and go by a name that they will, uh, they will accept. Because if he goes into the Gentile nation and says, hey, my name's Saul, they'll be like, get out. They don't even care like what nationality he is. If he has a Jewish name, pfft, get out. And so here's the coolest part. So not really the coolest part. But Luke records eyewitnesses' accounts. Right? We've we've learned this from, from our reading of the book of Luke. So Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And so he didn't what wasn't there for any of these any any of these things so far in the book of Luke. What he did is he went to Judea and And went and interviewed all these different people and got eyewitness accounts of every situation that he records in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Which is one of my favorite parts that he got Luke chapter 2 about the, the birth of Jesus Christ and the song of Mary from Mary's mouth herself. He talked to Jesus, his mom. And so tell me some stories. How did that go when he was like four... And like, was he crazy? Like every other kid? <laughs> oh yeah, Jesus was hyper. <laughs> well, let me tell you some stories. You know. like, the, like just getting the eyewitness accounts from everyone, from the man who was leprous and he was healed. He talked to that guy mm-hmm. and got to see his face and experience the joy of that man being healed. Where did he get this account of Paul's conversion? From Paul as we'll see later on in Acts chapter 16, he joins Paul and goes to Philippi. And so he gets to travel with Paul for several months where he gets to hear all about his story. Hey, how did you come to faith in Jesus? What is your story? He's writing it down. right? And so this is one of actually three experiences. This is straight from Paul himself, straight from the horse's mouth, as they say. That, you know, So we see that Paul himself wrote one quarter of the entire New Testament and over two-thirds of the book of Acts follows his missionary journeys. He's a very prominent figure in the New Testament. Not only is he sent to the apostle sent to the Gentile nations, he's not the only one. There's, there's several that, that were sent to Gentile nations. Like we talked about last week, that you know, after Philip talked to the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia, Matthew, the, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, went to Ethiopia and was doing ministry and was killed there, was run through with a sword by the king's bodyguard. So he wasn't the only one of the disciples that went to Gentile nations, but for us, really for our scriptures, he is the most prominent. His, his ministry spans about 20 years and the, basically the entire Roman empire. And so it was a very prominent figure and well, well known and recorded in scripture. So um, Saul, let's so kind of pack, you know, come back to our persecution here. So Saul, because of him, a great persecution broke out against the church. You know, back in, back in the, in Acts chapter eight it says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them into prison. So they're in Jerusalem. And here we see him still at it, but the verbiage has intensified. Verse 1 of our, of our passage here in chapter 9, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. John Stott, the theologian, says, some of the language Luke uses to describe Paul in his pre-conversion state seems deliberately to portray him as a wild and ferocious beast. Like predators devouring a carcass. Think about that picture. It's like... Crazy. We've all seen Discovery Channel. (laughs) He was passionate. He was zealous. He was a patriot. He thought he was doing the will of Yahweh which is why he was doing it so passionately, so excitedly, so poetically. He made everything he did sound wonderful and beautiful and honoring. He was trying to protect the purity of the Jewish faith while actively persecuting the God he claimed to worship. He was a Pharisee. Let's let's talk about that. So the Pharisee, they were powerless. They were a populist group, um, you know, kind of an offshoot with no real power or authority. hence why he had to go to the high priest to get letters that were he would take to Damascus to arrest any men and women belonging to the way. And so the, he was given authority. so he was doing this in Acts chapter one in Jerusalem. Then you realize, okay, this is you know sending these disciples elsewhere, so I've got to go find them now and really nip this in the bud. They can't escape, because otherwise they're going to be like a virus and spread to other places. So he was going actually to go seek them out where they had been scattered to. Now, here I love this. the, the way, followers of the way. This is the first title of the church. I don't want to miss this. I want to skip over this just within my description of, of Paul or Saul here. We were not called Christians at an early age. We, didn't, we, weren't, we were called Christians later in Antioch for the first time as a mockery. Of like, oh, you little Christs. They called, like basically, they, they called them that to marginalize them, to minimize them, and to dismiss them, hoping that they would just go away. Just like... They, they use the same phrase, phrase of Pelagians. They didn't like Pelagians. So they tried to call them this little, like, oh your little Pelagiuses. What, run around being Pelagius? You're dumb. You're stupid. Trying to minimize them and marginalize them to send them away and shut them up. But our name, followers of the way. John 14. John 13, 14. I am what? way That was our name. That was our title. That was our that was our we should have put that as our brand name on the side of the wall. On the side of the, just followers of the way. Disciples of the way. We're just called the way. That's our name. That was our So what is the way? God's way. Hey, Yahweh. The way of Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, so it's the way of Jesus. We're following. We're disciples of the way. Learning how to do this life the way that God created it to be. We don't get to make it up ourselves. We're followers. We do as Jesus tells us. We do as His Word tells us. Why? Well, because you've got to suck it up and do it. No, because there's joy. There's life. True life. That's why He says, I'm the way, the, what? the truth, and the life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full, overflowing that's what the way produces. Essentially, there's, this, there's a passage here that's in some, some manuscripts and, and not in others when it talks about, you know, why are you persecuting me? And it's, it's not in this one, but it's the, and kicking against the goads. This is, I thought it was a weird phrase. <laughs> it's basically like the training sticks to direct a horse where to go. And Paul was fighting against it, fighting against it and going off into destruction. Because if an animal doesn't follow where you're going and you're going on a cliff, is that going to go well? We're all like the horse on a a tiny little little, uh, hiking trail on the side of a cliff. So if we fight against the goads, it means death for us. It means death for us. But if we go with it, if we go with His instruction, if we go with His direction if we go with correction and discipline, He leads us to life. Everlasting life. So He was a Pharisee. As He says, Philippians 3, He says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. His testimony in Acts chapter 26, which we'll get to in a few years. (laughs) All the Jews know my name, know my way of life from my youth, which was set apart, which was set spent from the beginning among my own people in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Galatians 1, I advanced in Judaism beyond uh, many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Saul was a Jewish patriot fighting hard for his nation and their national identity. But his zeal was misguided. His passion and his patriotism Or for the wrong nation. Misguided zeal, especially when you think that you're honoring God, becomes an offence against the God you're supposedly serving. And it doesn't matter if your intentions are good. What's the old saying? The road to where? Hell. Hell is paved with good intentions. So we have to both have the desire to glorify and honor God, but we also have to follow it with doing the actual things that actually bring glory and honor to God. We can't just do it in our own way. We cannot honor, you know, try to honor and serve God out of here. Yeah. He has to say, this is what honors me. This was a wake-up call for Paul. Now it's it's been been suggested, so this is why we did the practice in the beginning there, that that Paul or so that Saul was on his way to Damascus and he was doing this medita- that meditation that we did earlier, so that he were in Ezekiel one with all the you know the weird you know wheels and living creatures and and I'm like this is a weird vision to take you guys through, but hey we'll go with it, but. <laughs> But so going through this vision, this is, this is something that some theologians actually believe that he was doing on the way to Damascus because of the descriptions that we see here. You know, the things like you know, the whirlwind and the cloud of fire flashing light everywhere, everywhere in, inside and outside. You know, the four living creatures, the wheels and the wheels within the wheels, and then the, the eyeballs on the wheels. That's creepy. <laughs> the expanse. It's like this, this ascension into, into deeper spiritual truths. And then you get to the expanse. It's like a sea of crystal as it's described in Revelation. And then you get to the very precipice, the voice. That's the voice of Yahweh. It's the voice of the Lord. And right when he got to this Place where he's getting to the vision of Yahweh, boom! Wow, light—it's real. Boom! Knocks him off of his horse. We're out of his chariot. We're off his feet. Doesn't really tell us where he where he fell from. But it knocks him over. It knocks him to the ground. Just like the vision in Ezekiel one, he's like, I fell face down. That's exactly what Paul did. He got. A vision of the Lord. All right. <laughs> Jesus, the voice, the logos of God spoke to him. I mean, he even talks about this, you know, later, a little bit later on in second Corinthians for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has what shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. He saw the face of Jesus Christ. His earthly, his earthly eyes saw heaven reality in this moment. And, and all, all these things, it confused him and confirmed everything Saul had ever been taught about the reality of Ezekiel 1 and the glorious Messiah that Yahweh would send. Think about this. He had so much what time to process. He had three days. Three days sitting, laying, blind. He was meditating on everything that he had just experienced. Everything that he had just seen before he went blind. Think about that. The last thing he saw before he went blind was Jesus. No wonder he went blind. (laughs) Apparently, Jesus hadn't uh, tanned in in a while. (laughs) Hey, that's what I felt like sitting by the pool this week. (laughs) I'm radiating my Montana whiteness. (laughs) <laughs> but think about this, he was meditating sitting there blind as a bat. Without sight. With the thought, is this God, uh, is this temporary? Or is this permanent? Will I ever be able to see again? He didn't eat or drink. And this is I think this is led by that worry, the anxiety. I mean, when you're in the in the throes of depression, you're not. You don't have an appetite. When you're in sorrow, regret, guilt, and shame, you're like you're in the midst of fasting. That's why they did fasting and throwing, you know, heaping ashes and, you know, sitting in in, uh, in, in you know, sitting in ashes. Out of this worry and anxiety about his future. Because he felt confusion and depression over this video, this vision. Because if it's true, what have I done? But also, you think about this without responsibilities. I mean, his mission kind of came to a grinding halt. Without being able to see, and especially after everything that had happened and everything he heard, this was, it definitely at least put a definite, an indefinite hold on his missionary journey. On his purpose in Damascus. But also now he was without purpose. Right? His, his purpose up to that point was to breathe threats and murder against the church. That was his purpose. I almost see like this is my purpose in life. I've finally found a God and I'm throwing my whole life into it. And then he's like, oh no. That wasn't my purpose. His fire was immediately. Put out. Extinguished. What was he doing? He said, praying. He said, there's a man there praying. He never gave up his faith. Even in the midst of his blindness. Even in the midst of God getting his attention by something that we would consider bad (laughs) or trying or suffering happening in his life. This is, for many people in America, where, you know, a, a time of great physical ailment, but also this crisis of faith because of circumstances of physical suffering like this. Oftentimes, for, for us in, 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 the, in the American church, it's like this, Where with God? Versus like, What is God trying to tell me? It's like this it's like a a little you know you're out out in the ocean in a little dinghy with a hole in it slowly sinking and all of a sudden god on a big cruise ship comes and he's plowing right at you forcing you to jump off the dinghy and he destroys it like whoa what the heck, god Why are you drive he's like oh here's a life jacket or here's here's a here's a here's a, a life raft pull let's pull you on board yeah, this yacht this cruise ship with you know, never-ending food and entertainment and joy and and music and laughter. And we're sitting there on the deck saying, "Why did you destroy my dinghy?" <laughs> <laughs> I better, kid. <laughs> and, and God's like, Miley. 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 "This guy right here, because he's weird, because okay. apparently he has a Jewish accent." But it's that thing in our life. God will destroy the things in our lives that are creating death for us. Right. Amen. And thank God He does. Yes. What is it going to take for God to get your attention sometimes? Is it going to <laughs> take Him striking you blind? Pray not. Pray not. But Think about this. Three days focusing on the words the voice had spoken to him. Three days to contemplate the dying words of Stephen and remembering in his mind, because he can't see anymore. He's remembering visually in his mind the look of Stephen's face looking up to heaven before that last stone smacked him in the face and killed him. So the face of an angel. He's remembering that. He's remembering that angelic face. Also, remembering the words that Stephen prayed for him, that the Lord Jesus would forgive him. Those words mulling around in his mind. I think those words resonated in his spirit for the rest of his life. Three days to reconcile everything he had ever been taught, from his parents, tutors, Gamaliel, as we talked about, fellow students, his wife or fiance, because remember Pharisees had to be married. About Abraham, Isaac, Israel, Moses, Isaiah, David, the Psalms, and royal promises, saying things like, you know, I will raise up a seed after you, and I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Three days of processing. (laughs) What was that (laughs) in the first place? What does it mean? What have I done? Is is God judging me? Is Jesus against me? Is, Is Jesus punishing me? How often we ask that same question? Because remember, Saul doesn't know Jesus. Saul doesn't know the kindness of Jesus. This was God's call to him to die to self. His invitation. It wasn't a demand and a command. It was an invitation to die to self. To shift his trajectory. To shift his mind. To change his thinking. Shift his thinking. Change his mind. Metanoia. Think about this. Think about all the things in this passage where someone had to die to self and to shift and trust God's Holy Spirit. Think about this. Ananias. He had a, cro- a close relationship with Jesus. He listened to him, he obeyed him. And here's the coolest part I think we missed this part. We, we missed the miracle here. He brought sight back to Paul, back to Saul. It was a miracle. He laid his faithful hands on Saul, and he received his sight back. Immediately. Like, what? What kind of Pentecostal prayer meeting is this? The glorious kind of tell you what. But here's the thing. He was freaked out. He's like, "Uh, God, I don't know if you've heard. That guy's kind of bad news. Um, I'm not sure about the wisdom of that Jesus. He's like... Bruh, I got you. I got this. So he forewent his his own safety, and he obeyed. He didn't know if he was going to walk in, he was going to say the name of Jesus, and boom, dead. He didn't know. He had heard rumors. Gosh, look what happened to Stephen. But we see the, the grace that Ananias had for him. The, the love that he had. It wasn't his love. It was the love of Jesus that brought an oppressor to faith and his wisdom, the way that he navigated that whole situation. Think about who else had to die to self. Well, Saul. Saul had to die. N.T. Wright says, when he went to preach the pagan world... I'm sorry, when you want to reach the pagan world, the person to do it will be a hardline, fanatical, ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox, pharisaical Jew. And they say that God doesn't have a sense of humor. (laughs) So where do you see yourself in this passage? Where do you see God asking you and inviting you to die to yourself to shift your life in a new direction to say i've been thinking this i've been making this about my you know my life about these things these have been the things that have been leading my thinking in life and those are garbage because look what they've gotten me look what they've done to god's kingdom or done nothing for God's kingdom? Where are the areas in our lives that we've been spinning our wheels versus dying to ourself and letting Him shift our life into gear versus just simply living it neutral? What is God telling you to do? Where is God calling you to go? Does God have to knock you on your butt and blind you to get your attention? Or will you say, are you willing to say, God, I will change. I will allow you to shift my direction. What we really need in our lives is a Jesus revolution. This is a, I would call this the the transitionary point from comfortable cultural Christianity that doesn't even exist anymore, really, for being honest, into the way of Jesus. Actively living the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. We need a Jesus revolution in our, in our own lives first. Are we allowing God to lead us? Are we allowing Him to create our perspective of what life is and how we're meant to live? This life by faith, or are we just simply apathetic to engage our faith and our life. Do we have our faith over here at church, and then we've got our life the rest of the week? Do they talk? Does Sunday morning influence your Monday? Yes. I would say Jesus Revolution because you know anyone seen the movie Jesus, Jesus Revolution? How many, how many have seen it? Have seen it? We may have, we may have to have a movie night. It's amazing. It's a, it's a great movie. But it talks about um, the, the origins of the Calvary Chapel movement and the Vineyard movement, which I've kind of found out, um, with Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, and uh, Lonnie Frisbee. I think. Um, but basically, the, you know, the Jesus Revolution is about loving, serving finding a way to connect to all people and lead them to devotion into true love, into true freedom, to the true Jesus. And they saw massive movements of God. Thousands of people. That's Chuck Smith on the left and and Lonnie Frisbee on the right. The one on the left is the one that started Calvary Chapel. The one on the right is the one that started the Vineyard Church movement. And the whole movement was about reaching a, a, a cultural place in the young, young, younger generation that had been dismissed. That said, they're too far gone for Jesus to, to use. And we don't like their culture, and so we're just going to stay here in our old ways and let them die with us. We're, gonna, we're willing to let our faith die with us because we're unwilling to reach them. But what they, what they said is no. No one is too far gone. No one is too weird. No one is too lost. No one no one should go without knowing the love of Jesus. So how can we reach them? How can we love them? How can we in, invite them in to the true way? Loving them, making sure that they know that they are loved just as they come. But Jesus loves them too much to let them stay that way. Amen. And to lead them and guide them in a new way. And they, they saw thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. Thousands and millions through this movement. It, it caused a Jesus revolution across the world. Some who are with us today because of that. Because of that movement. It was in the 70s, yeah. That was you. Yeah. You got saved in that Jesus movement. And so even today, I think it was last week, they had a service on the 50th anniversary of it. And over 44,000, the largest in the the history of America, the largest single baptism service America's ever seen, took place last week in in Pirate's Cove. 50 years later. God is still revolving. God is still revolutionary. God is still reviving. God is still awakening. God is still shifting lives. God is still transforming lives and generations and legacies. How does God want to use you First, how does God want to change your legacy? How does God want to shift your future, your trajectory? How does God want to walk with you? What deeds does God need to destroy in your life so that you'll come upstairs to the buffet? The buffet of His love. The buffet of His joy. And how can God then use you to change the trajectory of other people's lives? How can we come and die to ourselves, our way of thinking, our opinions, and go and pursue God and His? Here's an example of this. So there's a, there a story of, of these two guys that were in just a worship night in their small group. They were worshiping all together, and these two guys felt the leading of the Holy Spirit. Said, hey, I want you guys to go. Well, where do we go? Just, just drive. So they're like, okay. So they got in their car and they started driving. They're like, we don't know where we're going. And God said, all right, turn in. You're going to Walmart. He's like, okay. guess the Lord wants us to get some milk. So they went into Walmart. All right. Where to, Jesus? Like aisle, I think it was like 32 or whatever it was. Very specific. Like go to this aisle now. And so they're like, okay. So they went over to this aisle and there was a lady there in a wheelchair. They didn't just assume. They said, God, what do you want? And God said, I want her to walk. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so they walked over and said, ma'am, I know this is going to sound really weird, but the Lord has led us here directly to you and he says that he brought us here so that, for you to walk. Can we lay hands on you and pray for you? And she was like full of she She's like, well, I've been in this thing for, I don't even know how long, but sure, you can, you can. pray for me if you want. <laughs> and, they start, and they prayed over her and they felt her legs grow in their hands. Wow. The muscles came back fully. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what? And they took her hands and they lifted her up. And she was just started bawling. And she started like, of course, you know, like, trust, like walking, like freaking out. And then she's like screaming at the top of her like, woohoo! Yeah! Like running up and down the aisles. People from all over Walmart at like 10 o'clock at night are coming to the aisles. Like what is going on? There were like 60 people that came. And the two guys were like, in the name of Jesus, this woman here is walking. We laid our hands on her and she was healed. And she was like declaring, guys, this is my wheelchair. I've been in it for you know however long it was. I couldn't walk. But these guys prayed over me. And I was healed. The entire crowd was saved. The entire crowd came to faith in Jesus Christ. That night. At 10 o'clock at night, in aisle 32 of Walmart. This is a true story that just happened about 10 years ago. When you let God direct you, shift your life, when you die to yourself what you want to do, the way that you want to think, the selfish, stupid things that you're so involved in in your own lives that we're we're just so distracted by, that we can't hear God's voice, that we can't go where He wants to lead us. When we die to those things, we cast them down at His feet and say, God, where do you want to go? Where do you want my life to go? What do you want me to do and be all about? What joy do you want me to see and experience? If you've seen seen the Chosen series and and you watch the amazement in the disciples' faces, that is what Jesus wants for you. To be amazed at what He's going to do through your hands, through your voice, through your love, in your life, through your life. Come and die to live to really, truly, authentically live a free and generous, joy-filled, fun filled, adventureful, blessed life. Full of the Holy Spirit. Walking by His Holy Spirit. I guarantee you won't you won't regret it. What can God do? How can you allow God? how are you allowing Him to create a relationship with you that that brings good and and builds His kingdom in this world? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Saul and the work that you accomplished through his life. And thank you for this this narrative that shows us the faith of Ananias to go and see your goodness, see your glory poured out on one who oppressed the gospel and became one of the leading arbiters of your gospel in this world. Show us, God, how you want to use us. Lord, use us to create a new Jesus revolution here in the 21st century, here in Montana. Lord, use us. Walk with us. Show us. Guide us. Empower us, Lord, for good, for flourishing, for joy. In Jesus' name, I pray all of these things, Lord.